All right, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. If you would take your Bible and turn to Psalms chapter 4. Psalms chapter 4. Looks like we're in for a rainy week with the ground already saturated. But we'll endeavor to praise the Lord anyway. All right, Psalms chapter 4. And... I'm going to read the entire chapter. It says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Seal. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Tonight the message is, Thou hast enlarged me, or a subtitle might be, Being Made More Useful in the Work of the Lord. Being Made More Useful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to assemble together in a place where it's warm, dry, and uh, uh, we just thank you for your watch, care, and protection, and uh, how you provide for us day by day. We do pray that as we look into the Word of God tonight, that we be encouraged and challenged in our walk with you, and you would be glorified, and our hearts would be strengthened and uh, helped for your glory and for your honor. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, to enlarge means to make a wide space, or to make room for, or to, you know, to uh, enhance. It's kind of the idea, and he says, thou hast enlarged me. So we're talking about making... We're not talking about physical things, of course. We're talking about spiritual things here. Uh, so it, we're talking about the idea really is to be made more useful uh, for the Lord. And I believe, you know, if a, if a person is truly born again, they, they all have a desire to be useful in the work of the Lord. And, and so, to, but to do that, we have to grow and, and to... Allow the Lord to teach us and instruct us. Uh, Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. So if you allow the Lord into your life, you make room for him uh, to influence your life, allow him to have preeminence, it will make you, again, it will enlarge you or make you more fruitful uh, for him. Paul used this word in writing to the Corinthians in... in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe it is actually. And he, and he says, Thou art not straightened in us, you're straightened in your own bowels. Be also enlarged. In other words, you know, of course, they were, they were, uh, car, he called them carnal. Uh, there was divisions among them and, and they weren't growing as they should have been. They were tolerating sin in the church and what he said is like leaven will leaven the whole lump. You know, it's, so like cancer can affect the whole body if you let it go. And, and so, 
this was the condition of them. And he said, you're, you're being straightened or you're being hindered in your walk and your service to God by going after your own feelings. You're, you're doing your own thing and not, and not seeking after God. And, and so he tells them to be enlarged. And this is what the psalmist said here. And interesting, it says, he was enlarged when? When things were going great. This is the part we really don't like, isn't it? You know, when I was in distress, he says, when David was tried, he was enlarged. When things, you know, oh, brought this out in Sunday the last couple of weeks ago about how after David has a victory, all of a sudden he says, there's nothing left for me to do but go to Achish. And, and you know, <laughs> I don't know who it was I told her, I think maybe I mentioned during Sunday school class, you know, some of the, sometimes that after a really good Lord's Day, Monday morning I wake up and feel like quitting. That is strange. And but you know, I I learned years ago that I'm not alone in that. I was sitting at a pastor's fellowship years ago and I was just, you know, just a couple years in the ministry, and there's this old guy who was my father in law's pastor who everybody considered just just a a plotter and just faithful, you know, to his to to his work the Lord called him to, and 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 you know the preacher's preaching there, and he and, and during this preacher's fellowship, and the preacher said, "You ever feel like quitting?" And he was sitting next to me, and he said, "Yeah, every Monday morning." <laughs> so I'm not alone. But you know, but the psalmist says here, you know, oftentimes we it's not when things are going good. You know, those can be dangerous times for us because we can get, you know, lax and let our guard down. So, but it's when, when we're in distress, you know, when, when, when I am, when somebody confronts me, you know, I am prepared for a fight. But when, but when somebody, when I'm at ease, then I'm not. You know, it's kind of the same idea here. Uh, so, yeah, and not that I'm looking for a fight, but but it, so, so he says it's when he's in distress. So we are enlarged or made useful in our afflictions. Um, you know, Job was tried, uh, and in his affliction, he learned more about God. He came to understand that he really doesn't understand God. You know, at the end of the book of Job, in Job 42, he said, "I uttered things I understood not. I realized that Lord that." I don't know what you know. I don't understand everything about, you know, I don't understand when it compares to you, I don't know anything. And and this is this is what the psalmist is saying here. He's, he was enlarged. When David was being chased and hunted by Saul, it was then he learned to trust God. He wrote many of the psalms wherein we find encouragement to trust God. It was during those times. You know, one one commentator I read one time said that, uh, you know, the Lord allowed David to be pursued by Saul to get Saul out of David. So David wouldn't be a king like Saul. After all, really, you know, if you think about it, who would have been David's mentor to be king? Saul. And God didn't want another Saul. So he allowed David to be pursued and hunted so David realized, look, I need to, I need to trust the Lord and not my own new reasoning. And that's what Saul did. He trusted his own human reasoning. 
And it, it instilled in David, a, it developed in him a character of learning to trust in the Lord. A discipline, you might say. And, you know, it's, it's, it's many times it's through trials and hardships that we learn these kinds of things. You know, discipline is not just correction. Discipline also has the idea of structure. Uh, and, of course, you know, the reason we have little character or internal strength to stand for truth is we have little discipline. Children don't know trials and hardships. Or they're pampered by their parents. Not given boundaries. Not corrected for wrongs done. You know, nowadays, if you have a... You know, my kids will tell you, if we had a severe thunderstorm... You didn't run to dad, mom and dad's room and expect sympathy. You learn to cope with it. You learn to, you learn that, you know, the the boogeyman wasn't coming to get you just because there was a thunderstorm. Uh, and, and what it, what we instilling them is, look, you need to believe us that you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You know what that does? That instills in them when God says to them that they're going to be okay. They'll be okay. See, learning to receive instruction and, and correction from your parents helps you learn and receive instruction and correction from the Lord. And so, again, the, the verse in Hebrews 5.8 where it says that Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so, again, his, again he, in his humanity, he learned or was disciplined and, and was made perfect. So, so this is enlarges in, in our affliction. Uh, this, th- we are enlarged by seeking His glory. If you notice in verse 2, it says, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? The word leasing really means lying. And, and a good illustration of this leasing was David going to Achish so Saul wouldn't pursue him anymore. What he's doing there is trusting in a lie. He wasn't trusting God. He was trusting in his own human reasoning. And, you know, of course, that, that worked for a time, but, but, uh, then, you know, when Philistines decide to go to war with Israel, then he's in a predicament. And by the grace of God, he got out of that predicament. You know, God doesn't abandon us when we do that which does not please him. It may put us in a predicament. But thank God we have a merciful God that knows how to get us out of, the, out of those predicaments. When we turn back to Him and realize our need of Him and realize our wrong, you know, if we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and put us on that right path again. And so we have to be seeking His glory and not, not seeking after leasing or going a false way. And you know, really what it is here, we have to be open to the Lord, you know, realizing our brokenness before Him, that He is our righteousness. Verse 1 says that God is my righteousness. And we have to be willing to accept the truth. You know, if we really want God to enlarge us, to make us useful, uh, to mature us, for us to grow, we have to be willing to accept the truth, no matter what it is. You know, John 7, 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And what that, what that means there is, the idea is there, if any man willeth to do, in other words, if any man really desires to do the truth, God said, I'll show it to him. 
But if you don't have a desire to do it, don't expect to see it. Don't expect to understand it. And a good example of this is in John chapter 10. Go there if you would with me. John chapter 10. We see a prime example of this. And these were people that said, well, they wanted to know. But they really didn't want to know. Because when he told them, they just contradicted him. John 10 and verse 24 says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now he's been healing the sick, making the blind to see, making the lame to walk, feeding 5,000. He's been doing all these miracles. He's been preaching the word of God to these people and telling them, you know, uh, and John pointed out to them who he was, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You know, so they, they've heard all these things already. And here they, they come to him and say, hey, would you just tell us plainly if you're the Christ? You know, the word Christ means Emmanuel, which Matthew 1 very clearly tells us means God with us. Okay? They understood that. So they said, well, just tell us plainly. Just tell us. You know, it's like you were saying to somebody, okay, you go to the doctor, and he says, he explains what's wrong with you. And you may say something like this, tell me in plain English, or tell me in layman's terms. And, and you know, that might be what they're saying here, you know, just, just tell us plainly, but they really didn't want to know. Okay, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So he says, you know, he talks about his Father. But ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So you could really sum that up. He's saying to them, look, I am God with you. Because I and my Father are one. And He's God, and I'm with you, so I'm Emmanuel, the Christ. And look what they did. They took up stones again to stone Him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered Him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. What did they ask Him to tell them? They asked him to tell, him, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. So he did. And he goes on, he says, Jesus answered him and said, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, by the way, he is the word of God, word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, here it is again, I am the Son of God. And again, they, they and you know, verse 39 tells they, they sought to take him again, but he escaped out of their hands. So, so he, they ask him, you know, that, so they aren't really, they aren't desirous to do. They're looking for a reason to justify their rejection and destruction of him. You know, I've, I have 
talk to people, and I I known before they were you know by what they told me prior to them asking me that they already got their mind made up, and they don't listen. Why? Because they don't have a will to do the will of God. See, if we're gonna if we're gonna have God enlarge us and make us useful, we have to be open and willing and allow the Lord to instruct us, to correct us by the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, through reading the Word of God, and allowing the Spirit of God to lead us, being submissive to Him. We have to allow the Lord to, to correct us, to correct our ways. And of course, that is a struggle. You know, the disciples struggled with that. And you and I struggle with that. But it's something we have to do on a daily basis. That's why Paul said, I die daily. In other words, I'm, I put my flesh, I bring my flesh into subjection. I deny my flesh and allow the Lord to have its way in my life. And so, so there, there needs to be this seeking of His glory. Second Corinthians seven one says, "Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." So it's talked about continuous action. It's the work of the Spirit of God conforming us to the to the will word of God to do the will of God. And so there has to be this this seeking of the glory of God. And then we see that the product of enlargement. There's a couple of things here. First is a seeking after a godliness or a godlikeness. Verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. And so there's, there's a seeking of godlikeness. Again, when you have, when your heart's open and you're desirous to please the Lord, you'll be seeking to be more godlike. Think more like God. Act more like God. That'll be your desire. And, and the psalmist said here that, that, uh, uh, he was set apart him that is godly for himself. You know, we need we need to to work at being like God. You know, some people have this have these funny notions of what God is like. You know, some have an idea that God is like this, uh, you know, jolly Santa Claus that you know, uh, uh, kind of person uh, that you know, no matter what, you know, he'll he'll give you something. He's just a jolly good fellow. Others others think God is like a dictator. Just ordering everyone around. Neither one of those is a true picture of God. In fact, a good picture of what our Lord Jesus, our Lord is like, is is given to us in Isaiah chapter nine, in the prophecy concerning the the uh, the incarnation or the birth of Christ, and he gives a description of what what God is like. Of course, you know. Christ reveals to us in a person the likeness of God. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and then he gives some titles, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so he gives this description. This is, this is kind of a, uh, you know, these are titles that are given to our Lord Jesus Christ but they are descriptive terms of what he is like. He's wonderful. You know, he's, 
That word wonderful means admirable, distinguished, or sometimes it's translated marvelous. Psalm 78, 12 says, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, the, the word wonderful, you know, he's, he's wonderful. Uh, Isaiah 25, 1 says, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. So he's, he's someone that would be admired or distinguished or, or you might say, you know, and I, I don't know that I've ever heard that terminology here in the South that well, they're just a marvelous person or a wonderful person. You know, tell me you might call him a wonderful person. You know, in Luke 4, they said of him that the, talked about the, they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not, is not this Joseph's son? You know, even those that were sent to arrest him came back and said, there's never a man spake like this man. You know, he, he, he spoke words of, of truth and words of graciousness. That was, he's a wonderful person. He's, he's a counselor, one who consults and provides for. That's what that word means. So in the Lord, we have a, uh, of course, in the Lord, in the Word of God, we have a multitude of counselors. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where no counselors, the people fall, but the multitude of counselors are a safety. You know, we have a, we have a multitude of counseling in, in the Bible. And, you know, Proverbs fifteen twenty two without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But again, the multitude of counselors, they are established. And so he is a, he is a counselor. Uh, he is one that can, that we can consult with and provides for our needs. He's the mighty God. The word mighty God here, one, one definition was a mighty hero. Mighty hero. Speaks of one who has great power. And they gave an illustration in the definition of Alexander the Great. Now, why was Alexander the Great called Alexander the Great? Huh? He controlled everything. Did anybody, could anybody stop him? I mean, there was only one. I'm, I'm sure there were other Alexanders in the world. There was only one Alexander the Great. There's only ever been one Alexander the Great. He was a mighty conqueror. And he was known for, you know, he's described in Daniel as a goat that didn't touch the ground when he ran. He moved that fast. And they said he could, nobody could move an army as swiftly as he could. And often he would, he would, he would overwhelm much larger armies with a smaller army because of the swiftness of his advancements and his movements. There was none like him. There's only one Alexander the Great. You know, there are many gods of men, man's making today, but there is only one mighty. Only one. There's no other like him. There's only one that's called the Almighty. And that's our God. That's our God. He's and, and, and here here's here's one that, that that's that is kind of special to us, I believe. He's called the everlasting father. Now there's two words there. Now everlasting speaks of continual existence. You know, Jesus said that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. So he, he has continual existence. He had no beginning. He has no ending. 
That's everlasting. But he's not only just everlasting, he's the everlasting Father. You know, this makes him, again, special, single, one of a kind. None of us have fathers that are everlasting. This is a one of a kind relationship. You know, when we become a child of God, we, we get an everlasting father. And that everlasting father, he's called that because when we become his child, he gives us eternal life. You know, Jesus said it this way in John 6 37, all that the father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Do you know, if you really get into the family of God through faith and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be kicked out. You may get corrected. You may get chastened. You may get disciplined. But you will never get kicked out. John 10 Again, 27, my sheep hear my voice and know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never is a long time. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, and my Father which gave them me is greater law, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father's are, Father are one. And again, John also writing then in, first, in the epistles, in 1 John 1, 3, he says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, so we're in this family fellowshipping with God. He is our everlasting Father. And He will never leave us nor forsake us. See, this is a one of kind. Our God is unlike any other so-called God. He's also called the Prince of Peace here in verse 6. The word prince means captain or chief. The word peace here is a little different than it's used in a lot of places. It's kind of an inclusive word. I kind of you know struggle with really defining this thing. But Strong's gives this kind of long definition. It means safe, happy, friendly, uh, uh, look, also looking out for one's welfare, one's health, one's prosperity, uh, one's peace, a favor, uh, to be at rest, and to be, and to be safe. And really the idea is conclude, if you include all that, put it all together, that all is well. All is well. Every aspect is well. He's the prince of all is well. Peace. He's the chief. He's the captain. He's the source of peace. You know, Jesus just said in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Now, he's headed to the cross. He said, I have spoken of these things to you, so that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he proved that when he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and the world. You see, we can have, we can overcome, we can have peace even in the midst of this troubled world because we know that, we know that he has power over the world. 
we know how this war is going to end. In fact, it says here in verse 7, of course, this is speaking then of the millennium in Isaiah 9, where it says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forevermore. So his reign, when he comes to rule and reign on his throne in Jerusalem, is going to be a time of prosperity, a time of favor, a time of safety, a time of rest, a time when all is well. The lion's going to lay down with the ox. He's going to eat straw like the ox. The child's going to play in the hole of the cockatrice den. I mean, I wouldn't even be afraid to walk in the Everglades then. But as of now, I really don't want to go to Florida. Too many reptiles. I don't like reptiles. You know. But see, during the reign of Christ, why? Because he's the Prince of Peace and that curse that was brought on the world by sin is going to be lifted. And peace is going to reign. You see, this is, this is who our God is. This is who our God is. And, and so, uh, we ought to be like Him. We ought to, to become more God-like. Uh, there's, there's also a reverence here. If you notice in verse 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Now, knowing that God is like that, it ought to make you sit back and say, Wow. Who's like? Like the psalmist said in Psalm 89, Who is like unto the Lord? Who? Who's like unto him? And we'll have to stand in awe of him. It says, stand in awe and sin not. Be still. You know, just consider him, if you will, is the idea. And we ought to stand in awe on him. Deuteronomy 32 in verse 4 says, He is the rock that speaks of firmness, of stability. His work is perfect. It speaks of balance, you know, thinks of the balance of nature. You look at the world. Look at the world. Even with the curse of sin in the world. Even so, there's, there's balances and checks in the world. And anytime man tries to interfere with a lot of that, there's disaster. If you don't, if you don't, think that's true, read about Mao Zedong's uh, great leap forward sometime. You know, he thought that, you know, because too many people starving in China, he thought it was because there's too many sparrows eating grain. So they had this thing where they gave people BB guns to shoot sparrows. And they shot millions and millions of sparrows. Do you know what happened? They got overrun with insects that ate the grain before it became harvestable, you know, when it was like locusts. Because sparrows eat insects. And millions and millions and millions more people died of starvation because there was a greater loss of grain. What did he do? He upset the balance of nature. See, God's works are perfect. And we have to be careful. We start messing with them. You know, even, even in a sin-cursed world, there, there's a balance in nature. You know, all his ways are judgment, that goes on to said. You know, he, he can discern what is right. He always discerns right. He's a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. 
Psalm 89, verses 6 through 11, the psalmist said, For when the heavens can be compared unto the Lord, who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. You know, he's the one that caused the flood. He controls the waters. Thou hast broken Rahab. That's another, that's a, that's a name for Egypt. In pieces. You know, Egypt was the glory of the world at that time. The power of the world. He broke it. You know what we broke it with? Well, some of it was frogs, lice, flies. Isn't it kind of amusing sometimes the thing God uses that seem insignificant in themselves, but yet God can use these things to break a mighty nation. And then, He capped it off with their drowning in the Red Sea. So broken Rahab in pieces was one that was slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. So, so you know, again, it ought to cause us to fear. We ought to stand in awe of him, to fear his name, to fear who he is. And, and you know, really, if we, if we would think on that, it would, it would, Help us to reflect on our actions, what we do in life. You know, I feared my dad growing up. And the reason I feared him was, and I, you know, there's a lot of things I didn't do at school simply because of that. Because if I got caught and they had found out, there were consequences when I got home. You know what that did? That kept me from doing that which was wrong. Was I tempted to do it? Oh, you better believe it, I was. And even after I got older, and was out of school and other and in other areas of life, you know, thoughts of what my dad thought about things affected my actions. But you know, when I became I got on my own, those thoughts, that that fear that dad's instilled in my life, when I got right with Lord, now I have that same fear. God. It's not that I'm afraid to be with him. It's just I'm afraid of the consequences that he holds the judgment to my actions. He says, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. You know, we need to think about We need to think about, okay, at the end of the road, I'm going to meet God, so should I do this or should I not do this? That's what the the psalmist is saying here to us. 
At the end of the road, I'm going to meet this mighty God. My everlasting Father. If I'm a child of God, the everlasting Father. If I'm not a child of God, I'm still going to meet God as my judge. But if He's my Father, I'm going to give an account for what I've done in my life. You know, if, I, if I'd have done something in school and they just sent a paper home, Dad would start to question me. And if I lied about it, he'd go to school and find out the truth. I knew it didn't work to lie to Dad. You see. And it, you know, it don't work to lie to God. Because He knows. He that made the ear, shall we not hear? He that created the eyes, shall we not see? He knows everything. And so it ought to cause us to stand in awe and, and consider. Commune with her own heart upon your bed and be still. It, it ought to caution us in our walk in daily life. Cause us to consider Him. To think about Him. To know the presence of God. To meditate upon His Word. I want you to notice also, then this, the practice it brings about is a confidence in the goodness of God. Notice in verse 6, there be many that say, who will show us any good? So, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard people say, well, God never did anything for me. Well, where did they get life? Who gives life? Who takes life? You know, who will show us any good? And of course, a lot of people like to blame the, the, the death and destruction and suffering in this world on God, but God didn't do that. All that's a result of man's sin. Death came into the world by sin. Romans 5.12 tells us. He says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than the time that their corn and their wine increased. You know, so there ought to be a confidence in God. You know, it's a wonderful thing. I heard a preacher say this just recently. I was listening to a message online. And he said, it's a wonderful thing to come to the understanding of God's will for your life and to live it. You know, so many people go through life with no purpose. Life's empty. doesn't really have a purpose. doesn't have meaning. But if you, if you come to know God and they don't have peace, you know, a lot of people are angry. And they don't know what they're angry at. They're just angry. I was reading you know, a year or so ago about a, a guy who joined the BLM. And the reason he joined it was, you know, he'd been in and out of jail and he had no purpose and no goals in life. He didn't know what he was going to do. But all of a sudden, you know, he was offered this to, he joined up with them. Somebody invited him. And so he said, it gave me purpose in life. Somewhere to vent his anger at the world. Now, he really didn't know particularly who he was venting his anger at. It really didn't matter. He just all of a sudden had a purpose, is what he said. That's why he joined. That's why he enjoyed it. 
you know, so if you enjoy destroying things and making people suffer, you know, if that's your purpose in life, I guess you'd go join BLM. But if you want real meaning and purpose to life and find fulfillment, you know, being able to be a witness and testimony to others and having peace with God, know God and walk with Him. There's joy and satisfaction in Him. And so, even in distressing times, you know, David learned that even in distressing times that God was still with him. God still had not forsaken him. And God still manifested Himself to him. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Not beside the stormy waters, but beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley. So you're going to go through valleys, the shadow of death, where you think you may die, where there's distress and difficulties. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. You know, this time, uh, this time in our country is a very disturbing time. But I have confidence. Not in our country. But I have confidence in the Lord. I still have a purpose. I still have a purpose. There's still a purpose for us being here. There's still meaning to life. It may, you know, the circumstances in life may change, but my purpose never does because I have an everlasting Father. And He has a purpose for my life. And even though there's things that are unsettling and difficult to, to, uh, to accept and comprehend, I still have peace. So there's rest, and we see that in the final, there's rest. He says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. You know, of course, this is contingent upon our walking in our obedience to the Lord. Can't expect God to provide where He does not guide. He is not an enabler to sin. But He will provide for us. And when we, when we turn to Him, we look to Him, you know, as I said earlier, you know, even like with David, God, God you know, delivered him from his predicament. But the, God, the Lord has power to guarantee our security. We are in the Father's hand. He is our everlasting Father. And though Lot went to Sodom where he should not, God delivered Lot out of Sodom. Our land is becoming more like Sodom. But God does know how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He can keep us from the evil one if we'll just trust in Him and walk with Him Allow Him to continue to work in our life. Be open to His leading, to His guidance. Let Him provide for our 
needs. Let Him direct our lives. You know, stand in awe of Him. That is, we fear Him and not the world. We give reverence to Him, give preeminence to Him, and not the world. It's He that should dictate our conduct and not the world. You see, when David went to Achish, what he was doing was allowing Saul to dictate his actions. And God had to deliver him from it. So, no matter what the difficulties, the circumstances we find are in, you know, God desires to enlarge us, to make us useful, more useful, to, to grow us, to perfect us. And we need to be open, we need to be willing vessels to receive whatever it is he has for us, that we might be useful in this time in which we are living for his glory. We might glorify him.